Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast, a showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. I'm Maurice Cherry, and before we get started, I wanted to remind you about our survey. It only takes a few minutes to complete, and your feedback will really help shape the future of Revision Path. Just go to revisionpath.com forward slash survey to fill it out. We are also now available on iTunes and Stitcher. You can just visit revisionpath.com forward slash iTunes or revisionpath.com forward slash Stitcher to subscribe. Make sure to rate us five stars and write us a review as well. The more downloads, subscribers, five-star ratings, and reviews that we get, the more we can get the word out about the show. This week, I talked with Kat Small, a UX designer and developer in New York City. Here we go. Okay, so tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. My name is Kat Small. Um, I was uh, born in the Bronx, New York, and I am a UX designer and developer. Uh, Currently, I work at uh, Bedrock Media Ventures, uh, which is a small, um, it's like a small uh, sort of startup that uh, does a lot of media production stuff, and they make a lot of videos, and we're building uh, their pops, like their content management system, Um, and it's really just a really fun, interesting uh, thing to do. You know, I love, I've always loved making things, and web development has just made that so much easier. Nice. How long uh, have you been with Bedrocket? Uh, it's been about eight months now, so pretty recent. Um, I was previously working at NASDAQ OMX. Um, I was working uh, on their, what was it called? Um, it was like a, um, their sort of like service suite for people who uh, need to release uh, press releases. So I was helping to design the system around that, um, and that was also really fun. <laughs> I mm-hmm. Nice, nice. How did you get started with uh, with technology? How did you sort of – what was the spark that made you decide this is what you wanted to do? Um, well, I've always actually had a computer um, in front of my face, uh, an infant even. Um, there are actually pictures of me and my dad, and he's sort of like sitting at the computer, and I'm in his lap, and, and we're sort of like just playing with it. Um, and it was like the days of like the black, black screen and like the green or the white text. And there's also, like, my mom loves to tell the story about how um, I, my mom and I would just play this game where we'd, like, make train tracks um, in MS-DOS. <laughs> and it's, like, totally ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've just always had this uh, connection with technology. And so as I got older and I realized that I, liked, I really like to make art, um, technology just sort of, like, computers just became another way for me to do that. Um, so uh, when I was about 12 years old, I started um, creating these interactive dolls, um, and so I would go into MS Paint, and I would create all these uh, ridiculous outfits and stuff, and then I would go into this uh, this uh, program that was, like, specifically made for coding these dolls, and mm-hmm. I would just, like, make them for hours, and I would just sit there and write in this random scripting language that was created by someone in Japan, and I did that for, like, two years. And I figured, you know, I have to make a website for these. So I learned to make a website when I was, like, 12 years old. Um, and I also obviously messed with, like, AOL Home and stuff because everyone who was, like, six years old and had a computer did that. But, um, right. yeah, so I sort of I, – I've just always been kind of attached to technology. And it's always sort of allowed me to be creative in ways that I would have never imagined otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I, I just always knew that I had to do something related to it. Nice. And it, it sounds like, you know, and this is just based off of what, what we've got so far, that you're, you, you kind of are involved in a lot of different 
types of, uh, of not design, but you do design, you do development, um, based on the research, then you also do some illustration. Uh, it, it sounds like it's good to sort of be a jack of all trades when it comes to this industry because you can work in a lot of different types of fields and maybe you can bring a different perspective to certain fields, right? Yeah, totally. Um, I've always found that the more you can do, uh, the more powerful you are as a person. And I'm also really impatient, <laughs> so I hate waiting for other people to, to finish things so that I can actually move ahead with stuff. So any time where that's ever happened, I've actually had to, like, learn how to do it by myself. And, yeah, I mean, technology is just so empowering. And any time that I look at someone and I say, I want to know how to do that, you know, I, I can just, like, find a way to learn how to do it and make it happen. Um, so, like, even with making games, you know, when I was a kid, I – would like look at Japanese RPGs and and ask like how can I make one of these and I went online and found RPG Maker um, and when I wanted to learn how to make a website you know at the time they didn't they had like tutorials and they were accessible so you know I would use those and then like books and just figure it out but um, yeah I mean technology is just great and that there's like always a way to figure out something that you want to do and sometimes that's not really possible with a lot of other things so. It just makes every person feel like they're just really powerful and it's really just really interesting to be a part of it. Yeah, I know that for a while in the in the tech and design industry about specialization versus I guess like being a jack of all trades. So there's mm-hmm. this thing about should designers code, yeah. should developers design, you know, that kind of thing. But it really helps like you said, it really helps to have knowledge of both. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's just like when you don't have to wait for someone to do something, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. And also, um, like, just being able to communicate with someone um, on their level and, like, understand what it takes to build something is great. And so that's the thing about, like, should designers code. Um, I mean, I'm always going to have that bias of, like, I know how to code. And I feel like everyone who makes stuff for, like, a, a, a technology platform, like, if, if you make something for a website, you should at least know how that thing is made. So even if you mm-hmm. don't write code per se, you should know um, at least like, the limits and the logic of whatever, um, you know, like the code that your uh, project is going to be built in because that's always going to help you. Um, but honestly, I mean, uh, today in these ages, or in this age rather, it's it's like there are so many um, companies that are like looking for people and there's not enough people to fill those seats. And the more mm-hmm. people keep that in America that know how to code, um, you know, the more money we have to pass around within the United States. So, I mean, that's my other sort of, like, part of that answer is, like, yeah, I as much as we can, like, empower American citizens to code and make that money, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be like, yes, go do it. Nice, nice. How is the, how is the, I guess not even just design, but what's the creative scene like in New York? Uh, with, all, with all the different talent that you have, how is the scene there? Oh, it's really interesting here. Um, it's it's kind of cool because you're, like, in New York, everyone's just, like, doing so many interesting things. Um, and it's funny because I have, like, a coworker who came here from Atlanta, and she was like, oh, I always thought I was really busy here um, in Atlanta, but then I came here and I realized that, like, everyone is ridiculously busy, and now I find myself having all these crazy things to do. And I think um, – like, just being around so many other people who are constantly doing amazing things just makes you want to continue and keep doing really cool things and just not stop doing it. So, you know, I mean, 
it's awesome being born here to see like these different creative environments growing. Um, I, I guess they've always been here in some respects, like, you know, in the 80s and the 90s with, like, a lot of different painters and stuff. Um, you know, that was the thing. And now it's sort of happening for, for tech and even for game making. It's getting really huge, which is really awesome to see happen because I love video games way too much. <laughs> it's, it's so so let's, let's talk a little bit about, about video games. I like I'm, – I'm a gamer, too. Um, you also – you also started a, 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 a company called Brooklyn Gamery. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Brooklyn Gamery is a Brooklyn born and bred <laughs> company. <laughs> and we, we have a, we're ridiculous because um, how that name came about is the best story. So um, I have, like, three other friends that I started this with. And we, uh, three of us except for one person, um, are from New York City. And we've watched the whole Brooklyn scene explode and we were just sort of like, you know, it'd be really funny. Uh, Cause we were thinking about names. So we were like, uh, one of them said, what if we named it the Brooklyn Gamery? Cause there's like the Brooklyn Creamery and the Brooklyn Brewery, but there's no Brooklyn Creamery and that'd be awesome. And so we were just like, yes, that is the best name. And, we just sort of ran. <laughs> and our slogan is handcrafted video games delivered straight to your device. And it's just, it's just perfect. Um, and it's even better because, we're, you know, most of us are from New York City, so we can legitimately just say, like, you know, this is this is a legit born and raised in New York product. And we make a lot of cool games. Um, we are in the process of building this game called Prism Shell. Um, like, it's, the name is also pretty ridiculous of a story. It's like oh, we have, like, a laser mechanic in the, in the game, so it's like you can shoot a laser, um, and you can also shoot regular bullets. So we took uh, prisms from the laser part because it's light, <laughs> then mm-hmm. um, bullet shells. And so we were just like, yeah, let's just call it prism shell. I don't know. That sounds like a good name. Um, and it reminds us of, like, Metal Slug in a way because that's kind of how they came about the name, too. And we were just like, yeah, let's go. Let's do that. Um, so we like to reference a lot of older games and, and things like that. And our first, you know, we're at prism shell. We don't know when it's going to be out yet, but we're hoping for this year. Um, and it's going to be like a mobile action shooter game, so it's going to be fun. How did you first get into game development? When a lot of people sort of talk about, like, people getting into technology, it's more about, I feel like, the web than it is about gaming, and gaming feels like very, I don't know, it feels like a little bit more abstract, like that's something where you really need to have, like, with school, we got a computer science degree or something, but how did you, how did you fall into doing game development? Yeah, um, that's a really awesome question because a lot of people, I think, are always wondering the same thing. Like, a lot of people I know really love games and they want to make it and they're just like, I don't even know, how, like, how do you even do that? Um, and visiting a friend uh, who I met in high school and um, she went to a, uh, she went to NYU Poly, which is like a, a polytechnic school. So there's a bunch of different like sciences and, and, and math related fields um, or majors in that school. So I, I went there and I started hanging out with a lot of people who also liked games. And a couple of them were like, hey, we should, you know, make a game together because you're you're like an artist and a designer and you also code things sometimes. You know how these things work. Um, and they were really, like, really great programmers. So what we did was um, we would use programs, like there's a program called Construct 2 that allows you to sort of string together um commands, uh, and you don't actually have to program anything, per se, um, but it uses programming language, and it sort of just allows you to, to make a game really quickly. It's, it's like a proto, it's like a prototyping tool, basically. 
And so we would use that and just make these games together, and, and then it sort of just, like, snowballed from there, and we kept going. Is that called Construct 2? Yeah, yeah, like um, construction, like constructs or construct. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it, um, which is uh-huh. a question I really want to ask them. But, um, yeah, that's one of them. There's a lot of program, um, programs that you can actually use for, for making games. That's just one of them. But it's uh-huh. really about just um, sort of making things and um, sharing them with people because once we started making these things, like I have a friend named Arthur and he, he kept doing that, um, and he goes to a lot of events for making games as well. Um, like, there are hackathons specifically for making games called Game Jam. So he goes to uh-huh. those a lot, and um, that's actually where I – that's how we formed the book in Gamer is through uh, working with people at a hackathon uh, specifically for games. But, yeah, you know, you just sort of keep going to these games events and sharing things with people who also like games, and eventually someone sort of just, like, notices that you really love games, and you know, you've got some practice, and it just sort of um, goes from there, and then suddenly you're making even bigger, more awesome games. Nice, nice. Yeah. What, uh, what kind of games do you like? Like, what are you playing now? Um, currently, I I really did, like, uh, puzzle games, platformers. Um, my first game was Sonic, so I, I kind of have to love platformers. Um, right. But <laughs> I am <laughs> currently, I am... Um, Sort of watching. I'm playing um, Borderlands 2 because they have some new DLC that came out. Um, so I'm playing that game, even though it's like a year old. Um, it's got some new stuff on it, which is pretty cool. Um, I also recently played this game called Contrast, which was a really interesting puzzle platformer. Um, so you know, I try to still keep up, even though I'm like insanely busy. Every now and then, I, I sit down and I have to play something because games are just awesome. Um, there's actually this yeah. new game that's pretty cool. Um, by another person who's New York City based and he's also a game developer and it's called Country and Beatdown City. And that game looks mm-hmm. super sweet. It's like a, a beat 'em up, uh, but also an RPG at the same time. So oh, okay. I am super stoked for that as a person. I also like beat 'em ups a lot. Um so it's it's really cool to see when people mix genres like that. I just love seeing that kind of stuff happen. So I'm really excited to play more with that. Nice. I am that's that's so funny you mentioned that because I am a huge fighting game fan yeah. and a, a, a huge role-playing game fan. So the nice. fact that Beatdown City kind of combines, yeah, I'll be checking that out. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be checking that out. That's yeah, all, that's they have all a pretty right now for it, and I just, I cannot wait. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. That. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And also, yes, fighting games, I am, like, high-fiving you over the phone internet because, I love them, mm-hmm. and I, I cannot wait for the new Smash Brothers to come out. I really want to see what they do with that. <laughs> we'll see. Now, it, it, it's funny about fighting games, so I know that people, I feel like people fall into one or, or more of a few different camps when it comes to, because I'm thinking fighting games when they really sort of came about in, like, the 90s. So people yeah. are, are really either ardent, like, Street Fighter fans. Yeah. They're ardent uh, Tekken fans. Mm-hmm. They're ardent. Uh, Mortal Kombat fans, or they're uh, really ardent King of Fighters fans. Yeah, yeah, I was. I, I, I think I fall more into like the King of Fighters and Street Fighter. Yeah, kind of thing. And Mortal Kombat, I guess, to a degree. But which of those do you do you like better? I'm more of a fan of Street Fighter. There's just like I guess as, as like an interaction, you know, like UX designer. There are just things about Street Fighter that no other game really does. 
um, like, whenever you do supers and everything stops moving for a second and then, like, something amazing just happens and you're just like, oh, my God, this is the most awesome thing I've ever seen someone do. Um, <laughs> and they just take it to that level. And it just, oh, there's, like, no other fighting game gets me hyped to that level. Like, I watched Evo this, uh, this past year and I was just like, holy crap, this game is amazing. So I, I am, uh, I mean, I've always liked Street Fighter because when I was a kid, like, it was in the local laundromat, so I kind of had to play it. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Street Fighter is just really cool. And, I mean, as, like, a, a person who cares about user experience, um, like, I think that's something a lot of designers should check out because, um, like, there's this thing that people talk about, about, like, the light. And Street Fighter does it really, really well. They have all these little things, like the, the super attack that I mentioned, that um, just get people really excited, and they just know what emotion they're going for, and they just work with that, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would imagine since you build games, also you sort of see it from a different a different technical standpoint than just like the average fighting game fan, the average layperson, you know? Yeah, totally. And it, it's funny because my boyfriend is also, he's like, he goes in the, to the point of like knowing things about games like the hitboxes and stuff, which I also have mm-hmm. to care about, but, but he knows how to cheat those things. And I'm just, I, there's a point where I have to be like, if I get too far in, I, I cannot enjoy this game as much. So I definitely, I look at it from a design standpoint and sometimes from a, from like a development standpoint. But if I did that too much, I would be paying way too much attention to like the technical stuff and not having enough fun. So I always try to like turn hmm. on and off those things in my brain um, so I can still have fun with stuff. I hear you. Yeah, I like, I like Street Fighter. Uh, because when I when I first started playing Street Fighter, it was like the original like Street Fighter One. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this was a Street Fighter, and Ryu was like a ginger, and he had all these. It, it, it was it was funny because like the, the the console only had two buttons, and they were huge. They were about as big as like a paper plate, and you had to like punch down the buttons. Do you, I don't know if you ever if you've seen this. But I, like I've seen like at least Street Fighter two, yeah. I know what you're yeah, like so 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 like the only thing that Ryu could do was I think jump and like punch kick, and I think he could do a Hadouken, but you had these yeah. big huge buttons that you had to like physically like punch down, and yeah. then they had all these different uh, different stages and different people. So like he would fight uh, uh, Adon and Sagat and and Birdie and I think some other people. Uh, and what I always thought was funny is that every it was like one of the first games that I played that had talking in it. Uh, oh, wow. The other games that I that I remember that had that sort of voice, that kind of voice acting were usually Konami games. Like uh, mm-hmm. the Adventures of Bayou Billy comes to mind or something. But um, after every every round, the guys would say the same thing in the same voice. They they say something like, uh, "Oh God, I can't remember what it is." It's like. Uh, Good, good fight. Just remember, there are people like you all over the world. Like it's, it's like the same thing every single yeah. time. Yeah, uh, something about it's yeah, amazing, right? Yeah, and like <laughs> I, I, I have fond memories of Street Fighter because of that. I liked King of Fighters because it had so many characters. Um, yeah, and it was like you could play on a team of three. They had a lot of women characters. They had characters of different nationalities. So I liked that, and they had a story that carried over from game to game. I feel like the Street Fighter chronology is a little little kind of messy a little bit. The King of Fighters is sort of like King of Fighters 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, and it 
had a story that built, and then you had these story arcs that changed every three years. I was really into that for some reason because it felt like these were characters that you grew with, and it wasn't just, you know, like the same guy or whatever. But uh, it's not all about gaming. I could talk. We could have a whole gaming uh podcast. I don't want to get too far, yes. far off of um, <laughs> That is totally okay. Because I could talk right. about that all day. I even read a Street Fighter wiki just so I could understand what was happening in the game. Do not worry. Nice. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about I guess diversity in this field. I mean you're you're a black woman who is a designer, a coder, a, a gamer. Like I'm sure you probably had some really interesting experiences just cohabitating all these spaces. Uh, what are what are some of the more, I guess, interesting kind of encounters that you've had since you've uh, been working in the field? Yeah, well, it's always been really interesting because, you know, just being a gamer and a woman at the same time has kind of been, like, already kind of off-putting to some people. Um, but, you know, being a black person in a field where there are not many is it's kind of intimidating at times, doubly so when you're also a woman. Um, it's, it's been an interesting journey. I guess it's, it's weird for me because, um, when I was a kid, I was a tomboy, so I was kind of uncomfortable around women a lot and much more so comfortable with, like, being around a lot of guys. So I got used to that, um, and, you know, it's also gaming. Um, so I don't particularly feel like, I usually feel kind of okay, but when, when you're, like, in the, the minority in multiple ways, you definitely feel it, um, a lot, and it's hard sometimes to um, not just feel affected by that constantly. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things I struggle with a lot, especially when I was working at NASDAQ, um, also because, you know, I was, like, one of the only, I was, like, one of two or three black people in the office. <laughs> um, and, like, uh, yeah, there were, like, three black women, actually. I think there was, like, one black guy, and, and I was the only one who was, like, on the design team, and cultural-wise, Culture-wise, it was just um, very um, interesting. And, you know, I learned a lot about myself um, as well as other people. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really, um, it's hard sometimes. Um, sometimes, you know, I found myself, like, um, when I would go to certain meetups, I would sort of stand there and I would feel kind of uncomfortable because I would notice I was the only woman or the only black person. Um, or sometimes even just the only young person in the room. And I would wonder to myself, is no one talking to me because I'm black or because I'm a woman or is it just me um, that's pushing everyone else away? So one thing you definitely learn as a person who's a minority in tech is, you know, you learn a lot about yourself, but you also sometimes have a lot of questions that are going to be really hard to answer if it's so, you know, I'm still, I'm still, that's one of the things I'm still working on. Um, but, you know, hopefully, uh, actually, um, one of the reasons I am a teacher with this group called Code Liberation is um, because uh, sometimes tech can be really uncomfortable for women. Um, a lot of the times when you're speaking with men as a woman and you're in tech, you don't really know if they're speaking to you because they're interested in what you do or if they're interested in, in like, dating you or, or whatever the case may be. So it can feel really uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. one of the things we're trying to do is actually build um, um, a space that women can feel safe in um, and, you know, make things together and, and um, not feel like they're um, sort of 
uh, being targeted for any kind of creepy thing. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I really, I really love, you know, I really like the field, and um, I actually really love uh, where I work right now um, at Bed Rocket because um, mm-hmm. they're really welcoming, and we have a really great ratio of, like, men to women. And I may be the only black person in the room, but I'm not the only minority in the room, which is kind of a rare case, actually. Um, so I never feel like, um, I never feel too alone when I'm here. And I really like right. that. Yeah, there's this adage that I, um, and I've heard it in different, uh, I guess in different ways, but I remember uh, most recently hearing it from a video on YouTube where uh the guy was talking about uh, racism and games. Yeah. It's this, it's, this, uh, it's this YouTube show called PBS Game Show, and it's done by this guy. I think he's in New York. His name is uh, yeah. Jamin Warren. Have you seen this? I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen a lot of their stuff, and they, they are really great and really introspective. I love yeah, they Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Um, but he says something in there where he's like, you can't be what you don't see, and I feel like particularly with, with uh, design and technology, I know that the, the pervading notion is how this is a really, uh, this is a field that's about merit, it's a meritocracy, and, and that in itself is true in some respects. Like, it is about making sure that you are doing the work, that you're, you're an active member of the community because you can do the work. However, you know, you also can't discount the power of, of being able to see a woman that's doing it, of seeing a black person that's doing it, a sick person that's doing it. Like, for people that are, are just getting into this industry, for students, for kids, to see role models that look like them, that resemble them in some way, is is huge. It's huge. It's more than just about merit at that point. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, that's one of the reasons I've been trying really hard to speak, um, actually, and do, like, public speaking and teaching is because um, when I was a kid, like, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really know anyone um, who was interested in, in things like that and was older than me. Like, I never really had a role model to that level, and it would have been super cool if I did. Um, but I sort of grew up um, just thinking, like, you know, my mom at that point was my role model because I didn't really, you know, know anyone else who I thought was uh, really cool. But, you know, she always appreciated technology a lot, and she really encouraged me to do it. So um, just having her there to, to be so encouraging was really great for me, but a lot of kids don't have that, and especially a lot of, like, black women, um, you know, I don't always know how much people expect of, um, of black women, especially, like, my cousins, I'm always, like, shoving them to do stuff because otherwise um, no one would be doing that, and, um, you know, I'm trying to do that for other young black girls as well, and also young black boys because, you know, if there's a black woman doing this, um, it's much more possible, you know, it just feels like it's something they can actually do. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to speak at, um, like, user experience conferences. Um, I'm, I hope to do some at, like, development conferences for, like, web, um, and also game making because it's super duper rare. Like, um, I went to IndieCade this past weekend, which, um, and IndieCade is a, uh, game development conference, and it's located, they have two versions. They have a version in New York and a version in California, I believe. And so I went to the New York one, and I was one of, like, maximum five uh, black people specifically. And uh-huh. um, there were definitely, like, thousands. There were thousands of people there. And it was to the point where this guy got confused for another guy because they, they both had afros. 
um, and black people. <laughs> but one has like a giant beard, and it was impossible to mistake him. He has a giant, gigantic beard, and it's just like, oh what has that happen? Yeah, so it's it's just like we definitely need more people um, in all of these fields. Like it's still happening um, that we don't have enough. And um, hopefully by you know speaking up and um, you know trying to show other people that that I'm here, I can help to sort of change that ratio. In addition to right. being a woman, you know, so hoping. And I, and I think I mean it's it's important, you know, also for. You know, we're going to be talking about, you know, the PBS game show, but about representation within these games. Like, I'm thinking about, and you, you probably know what I'm talking about, I'm thinking about that non-playable character in Deus Ex Human Revolution, the woman that oh, you God. meet in the alley. <laughs> oh, my God. And she's like, I'll be right here waiting for you. About, like, who oh, thought that was a good idea? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> video games 
lately. <laughs> I, I would I would totally love to see uh, more black people in in role playing games yeah. because like I like I grew up and I mean I think as as any role playing uh, game enthusiast they sort of cut their teeth on Final Fantasy. Um, and I remember playing Final Fantasy, like the first one on NES, and I remember when Final Fantasy II came out on Super Nintendo, and I just fell in love with it. And, and you know, a lot of these types of role-playing games are usually always centered around this sort of European uh, medieval motif, where you've got, yeah. you know, swords and armor and kings and queens and stuff like that. And uh, Final Fantasy III came out on Super Nintendo, and I mean, I completely fell in love with it. I actually learned how to read music from Final Fantasy 2 and 3 because I would record the songs and then I would transpose the music so I could learn, like, the notes and stuff. So when Final Fantasy 7 came out on PlayStation, I was so excited because I had just gotten the PlayStation. I was like, oh my god, it's Final Fantasy 7. It's going to be great. And there's a black character in it. There's a yeah. black male character. And yeah. he kind of, like, had the same build and stuff as my dad. I was like, yes! There's a black character in, in Final Fantasy VII, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to play it. And when I tell you, I was so disappointed in yeah. that. Like, why does he talk like Mr. T in this post-apocalyptic role-playing game? And, like, to this yeah. day, like, I can't even I can't even play through Final Fantasy VII. Like, it's my least favorite of the entire series. Yeah, every time yeah. I see it, I'm just like, I, there's just, like, a wave of disappointment that just comes over me, and I just... <laughs> I don't even want to touch Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, they kind of, like Final Fantasy had um, whoever the the bunny woman was, and I think that was in 12, I think her name was Freya, Freya, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then even even 13 had um, uh, Saz with the the afro, and I was just like, I guess it's better. Stereotype, but yeah, it's like, what can you say? I don't know, it's like, is it... It's, I, I think um, if we have more people who are actually black making these characters, then we mm-hmm. get a lot less stereotypes and a lot of, like, actual human beings. Uh, I think yeah. I always think the problem is, like, they sort of go for the caricature of what they might have seen, uh, whether it's on TV or if it's actually in real life, uh, without actually realizing that these are real people with more than just one feeling or, like, not even a feeling, but, like, their entire entity is not just staff. Like, there's right. something else there besides just a staffy person. And a lot of people yeah. don't understand that often. Um, and, I mean, I think a part of that is also, like, the way a lot of black people deal with, like, pain and everything, really, is, like, some kind of joke about it. But that's because, you know, that's, like, a thing that we yeah, so, sort of get Yeah, I laugh to keep from crying. Yeah, exactly. Like, stuff just kind of sucks sometimes. And our way of dealing with it is by making a joke about it and so it's like mm-hmm. people automatically see that and then they're like oh, oh, oh maybe this is just how my time or like look at mr t he's cool i don't know it's, yeah. it's just a lot of weird issues but i feel like if a person of color is actually making these things then this is going to be mm-hmm. less likely to happen because they'll know what it's like when someone gets home and you know they're like crying because something bad happened and they don't have to put on a face um in front of other people and i'm just really hopeful that that's going to be the direction that people go in more often. I, I feel like this this also plays out in in technology, too. I totally feel like this plays out the same way in technology because, um, and, and I think mostly not design so much, but certainly in technology. So I'll, I'll, uh, 
I don't know if you if you heard about this. This happened maybe about gosh, when was this? I think this was like 2006, 2007, maybe. It was a while ago. And um, you know, there's always been this kind of perennial conversation. I feel about increasing racial diversity in technology, and I think lately, within the past two or three years, that spilled over into the yeah. design field. But uh, with technology, it's about you know making sure that there are more um, you know black people that are being represented and, and things of that nature. And this guy who is a comedian slash tech pundit or something, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. this guy named Lauren Feldman, and he uh, he did this uh, spoof, I guess, of a, of a black tech entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, it's so bad. I don't even know what you call it. But, but no, it's, um, it's, it's, he did this, this video spoof, and I'll link to it in the show notes, but he did this video spoof um, of this website called, uh, <laughs> it's called technigga.com. Oh, God, why? And, uh, yeah, and he's a white guy. So it's like technigga.com, and we have this, this, and he's dressed in like, um, he has like a do-rag and shades and earrings and stuff, like trying to dress like the stereotypical black, like black rapper or whatever. And, um, he's like, oh, and, the, and we have our app is called hoetracker.com. So you can track your hoes. While you on the go, and it's like, what? And the thing was that this was on a show that he did that was like sponsored by Verizon. It was on uh, God, what was the name of the network at the time? Um, Pod something. This was back when podcasting was like the rage back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I mean, it was it was really bad. And you know, people complained, and you know, they pulled the funding and ended up canceling the show or whatever. It was like 1938 media. With the company, and I know they even addressed all of this at at South by Southwest. Even like there was a panel about blacks and technology, and he was like in the audience, like lobbing questions at people, uh, you know, because people were like, "Oh, I don't see why this is a bad thing. It's satire." No, it's not satirical. It's it's pretty insulting. Yeah. Like it's not satire. It that's, hurts that's people. <laughs> yeah, it hurts people. And so, I mean, I think now it's it's certainly. Um, has widened the scope in terms of this whole, you know, like black and technology, you know, kind of thing. But it's sort of like you're saying, like it's there's even still companies that are doing like really foul and crazy stuff around, you know, women, around racial minority, you know, and it's like clearly you don't have these people at the table when when these sort of decisions come up because someone would have to check you and say that's a terrible idea, you know. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like now it's more so around gender than around race, but it still yeah. still crops up every now and then. Yeah, that stuff just I I don't even understand what like <laughs> I I'm just kind of speechless from from of like frustration from that because I always I always feel like sometimes people have the best like they really want the best for people sometimes and then mm-hmm. like these things come out of their mouth and then other people are just like why did you think that was a good idea. And I don't think that's the, this is like in this case that is not true. Um, because like I don't I just I don't see how someone can say that and not realize that you know a lot of black people are not like that. And I think that's one of the things I always get frustrated about. Actually, is like there's such a large percentage of black people that are like nerdy and actually consume a lot of technology already. The issue is usually around turning them from the people who are consuming technology into the people who are actually creating it. Um, so it's yeah. not really as much like, you know, how do we make this cool and hip for the kids? It's actually how do we just involve the kids 
in making it so they can figure out what they want to make by themselves. Um, so, you know, I mean, if we just, I think what we really have to do is start encouraging, you know, black children at a younger age to start building things and um, also sort of pointing them out as like creative tools rather than like um, like another boring kind of educational thing. And education is like a whole other um, subject for me because like I love reading and I love um, like doing math has always been really entertaining for me and stuff. But for some people, that's not the case. And if we uh-huh. sort of highlight it as something that's actually fun and allows you to do a lot of creative things, I think people would really enjoy that. And in addition, obviously, it also sort of financially empowers you. And a lot of kids also want to be financially independent and want to be able to buy whatever they want. And showing them that they can fund whatever they enjoy doing instead of, like, having to rely on their parents or whatever may be the case. It's also another super great way to, to get kids interested. Um, so I just, I think sometimes we need to look beyond the, the sort of like stereotypical uh, reasons why someone might be, not, like, or stereotypical reasons why someone might not be interested in, in something and really start to, to like figure out how we can start involving them in a way that's more comfortable for them. Because um, if I ever see anyone actually making a site like that, I will gladly fly to wherever the creator lives and punch them in the face. <laughs> that is not cool. It is really not cool. And that makes me really sad that that exists. I just, I can't. The internet is how many things. <laughs> so let, let's talk, let's, let's shift the conversation away from her because I think we're both a little keyed up right now. But, um, so... Let's, let's talk about your personal, like, design style. Of course, I know you also do illustrations, uh, and you also have, like, a few comics I think you've done. I saw uh, yeah. one or two of them on, on Tumblr. How how would you sort of describe your personal design style? Who are some of your influences? Um, a lot of my influence um, comes from, like, comics and cartoons, actually. I love colors, and I... I can't really, I, I can do minimalism, and I mean, that's one of the great things about being an artist is that you sort of learn to emulate other styles, so um, that's sort of one of the things I learned um, is, like, if someone needs a certain kind of style, you should be able to sort of um, create something that sort of um, is feels like that, so I guess it's hard to say what exactly my design style is. Personally, I love um, using, like, as much color as possible and being sort of, like, radical about things. Um, when it comes to a website, it's, it's more – I care more about, like, how people can use it or whatever its specific uh, function is supposed to be. So I guess one of the things I really – I really believe in um, form following function, and I, I want something to look good because this is the Internet, and I care a lot about visuals, but I really want to make something – as useful as possible, and then sort of care about um, how to make it look beautiful afterwards. And I think that's why I do really well with user experience design, because um, at least when it comes to certain practices of user experience, it's, it's really about how do you make this function the best and get people to do what they love um, or need to do the quickest, and then how do we make it look really amazing after we've cared about the, the task at hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any personal projects that you're working on right now? I know you mentioned uh, Brooklyn Gamery. You've mentioned uh, Code Liberation Foundation. Is there anything else that you're working on, any other personal projects? 
Yeah, I mean, I always have little things like, um, you know, my comics website, and I'm always drawing something on there. Um, I'm also, like, anytime I think of a hilarious domain name, I immediately buy it and, like, make a website for it. Um, so I have little ones. Like, I have to at some point make, um, I think I have, like, don't press this button.com or something. I have to make that. Um, <laughs> I've got a lot of little things. And when I have nothing else to do, you know, like, I'll... Uh, I have a plan to make at least five video games this year, and I've already made two of them, so I, I work on that. Wow. And, yeah, and I also, um, you know, as I said, I teach with uh, Co-Liberation. I am also, you know, I also teach uh, with, uh, little kids to, to code in general, so I'm going to be teaching um, some girls through the YWCA, and mm-hmm. um, uh, we're going to go through how to make an HTML5 game, so that's going to be fun. So I'm never bored, ever. That sounds like, yeah. I mean, I the whole thing about making video games, that just, like, blows my mind, Grace, because I, I want to learn how to, to do that, and especially role-playing games, because I just have a, a real penchant for role-playing games. So that's that's really, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's not nearly as hard as you would think. It's The barrier always seems really high. Um, but there are so many programs out there, especially now, that are catered for people, catered towards people that don't know um, how to make a game yet, and it really sort mm-hmm. of walks them through it. So um, Construct, as we mentioned, is one. But there's also like Game Maker. Um, it's actually called Game Maker. It's just it's just perfect. Um, but that one is also um, really great. And uh, Unity actually has a 2G 2D platformer engine now. So you can make 2D platformers in Unity at this point. And there's just so many resources. Um, I think the big issue is, like, showing people that they're there and, mm-hmm. and pointing them out constantly until, you know, they see that they're available. Where do you see yourself in, like, the next five years or so? Because it sounds like you've got a lot going on, a lot of different fronts. Where do, where do you see yourself in the near future? Um, that is an amazing question. That is so hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's hard to say. Um, I'm really hoping to just continue making a lot of really beautiful, wonderful experiences for people, whether it's online or whether it's, like, in a video game form. I I just love doing those things so much, and I want to continue being able to do both of them. And um, at some point in the future, I would love to actually make, like, a graphic novel type thing. I I would love to do that. but it's hard to say. I just know that I want to keep making things, and I'm never, I'm never going to stop making stuff. And I, I just want to do that for the rest of my life. Nice. Yeah, I know with with Kickstarter, I know there's a, a lot of people that are doing uh, graphic novels from that. There's this one artist in particular. Um, uh, she's on Tumblr, but she she uh, her she goes by GGDG. I don't know if that name sounds familiar. Uh, she has this web comic called Cucumber Quest, which oh, is like I think about I've heard the, of it, yeah. Yeah, it's like these anthropomorphic bunnies on this like role playing, like classic role playing quest. It's pretty, it's pretty neat. And she's already like successfully raised thousands of dollars off two Kickstarters to like do books and stuff. So uh, if you if you decide to go that route, Kickstarter seems to be the way to go. Especially if you have an audience built up around it, it totally seems like the way to go. Yeah, um, that's awesome because I love animals. Um, it's funny because I actually <laughs> started a graphic novel called Dr. Cat. <laughs> it's about a doctor. <laughs> and it's so cute. I just, I had to immediately give it money because um, it started as a webcomic. And I loved it because there was like this cat that has a glove, like an operating glove on its tail. 
and it's just mm-hmm. so wacky and out there. I just loved it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I love Kickstarter, and I love what they're doing, that they're empowering people um, to, to make stuff and, and to, to not have that sort of middleman there um, controlling their creative voice. And I mean, that's yeah. what, that just sort of goes back to like the power of, of being able to, to code and create things because someone made that and figured out a way to like to, to, to build a system that allows people to, to pay other people to make things that are awesome. And, you know, that wouldn't be possible if someone hadn't figured out how to code. Yeah, absolutely. So just to wrap up uh, the interview, where can our, our readers find you online? My website is pretty simple. It's uh, catsmall.com, two T's, because um, uh, special, I guess. Um, and besides <laughs> that, I also operate codeliberation.org. Um, I also run brooklyngamery.com. So those are my three main um, uh, websites that I exist on. All right. Sounds good. Cat Small, thank you again so much for taking time out of your day. I was glad we were able to talk about tech and design and video games. This was a really great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so fun, and I love talking about that stuff, so I'm so happy I could do this. All right. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Cat Small, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to take our survey at revisionpath.com forward slash survey and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like what we're doing with these podcasts, you can help sponsor the show. Contact information will be included in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.